Please pray these words along with me from David in Psalm 19. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A paradox is when you hold two opposing truths in tension. Take, for instance, uh, the opening paragraph of Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times, the worst of times. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. In short, the period was so far like the present period that some of the noisiest authorities insisted on its being received for good or for evil in the superlative degree of comparison only. But paradoxes aren't simply something that we find in literature today, and they're something that we have all around us today in our lives. Take, for instance, this season of Lent that we are now in as the church and we're going to be going again through the biblical stations of the cross this Lent. We desire to journey along with Jesus, along his path of pain, of suffering, affliction that he went through for us, that we might hear the story yet again anew this year. But we hold that intention with the truth that we know how the story goes. We know where this path leads to. We know how the story ends. We know what we will proclaim on Easter morning. We will say that word that we now keep hidden for just a little while. Or even as we look at our readings today from Scripture, Exodus chapter 32 in the episode of the golden calf incident, how the Lord God, we hear, desires to destroy his, com his people completely to wipe them off the face of the earth, and to begin over with his servant Moses. We hold that intention with the truth that we know that our God is, is powerful. He has power and might over everything in this world, and yet, at the prayer of his servant Moses, he not only is able, but he's willing to change his mind. And as we heard, he relents of bringing this disaster upon his people. Or when we looked at our epistle reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we know that the Lord our God is holy, is pure, is right, is without sin. And yet, a, as Paul describes it, thorn in the flesh has been given to him, and he diagnoses that it is a messenger of Satan to harass him. And so we have to wrestle with the tension that, again, this God that we have who abhors sin completely employs the work of the one who rebelled against him for his good and gracious purpose of his servant, the Apostle Paul. And yet when the Apostle Paul cries out to the Lord, not once, not twice, but three times, he's met with a very different message than Moses, the servant of the Lord, is in Exodus chapter 32. He's met with the striking statement from Jesus my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, what's our natural inclination when we're faced with paradoxes or when we're faced with two opposing truths that we are to hold in tension? Don't we kind of want to resolve them? 
It's like when you put your finger in the wrong slot of your winter glove. Thankfully, we don't need those today. But you, you gotta take it out. You gotta put it in the right slot of the glove. Or when you're putting your shoes on your feet, if you put them on the wrong foot for some reason, you have to switch them. It doesn't feel right. I mean, unless you're a kid and you're learning how to put on your shoes. And then for some reason, the wrong shoes on the wrong foot always feel better than the right shoes on the right foot. Or even when we're, we're mowing our grass, which hopefully we'll be doing soon, you get done mowing your grass and you look at this well-manicured lawn and you notice that there's a strip of grass that you missed. Are you going to pull out your mower and finish the job or are you just kind of let it grow as it may and wait for next time? We desire to resolve those tensions that we see in life. And the same is true with our passages from Scripture today. We don't want to leave these truths that we see in our passages unresolved. And so we hear from scholars that sometimes with like Exodus chapter 32, it wasn't that God was about to destroy his people, but the Lord God knew that he wouldn't destroy his people. He was just challenging his servant Moses to pray that the Lord God would relent of this disaster. And so what he was really trying to do was to shape the mind of his servant Moses through this episode. Or even with the apostle Paul here in this thorn he has in the flesh, uh, scholars come up with, again, the resolution, but it's not very comforting that the Lord God is sovereign over all things, and he can do whatever he may please. He may use whatever in his creation in order to accomplish his good and gracious will. Again, it's not very comforting to hear that, but it resolves the tension pretty quickly. But the question that I want us to focus on today as we look at our gospel reading is how does Jesus deal with paradoxes or truths in tension? Does he act like us, trying to resolve it as quickly as possible? Or does he set before us another way? And the paradox that we see Jesus working through today in this first station of the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane is in verse 39 of our text where he prays, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus begins by verbalizing the truth, as difficult as that truth may be. Now, this isn't something abnormal for Jesus to do. Jesus is, is very apt at being able to speak the truth and letting people interpret it how they may. Like to his blessed but sinful disciples, Jesus says at the end of Matthew chapter 5, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. To those Pharisees who are trying to catch him in a sin so they might have an accusation against him, Jesus says, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And even to Caiaphas, the high priest, in just a, a, a few verses after our text for today, when he's asked by Caiaphas if he is the Son of God, Jesus says, you have said so, which leads Caiaphas to tear his garments in two and cry out, blasphemy. Jesus still speaks the truth. And again, lets everyone decide or come up with their own interpretation based on the truth that he speaks. Jesus doesn't withhold the truth, even though it may be difficult for people to hear. And that's the same as well with his heavenly Father. He prays to his Father, let this cup pass from me. 
cup that he's referring to here is a, a metaphorical cup, and we learn of its context from the Old Testament. Some scholars say some 17 times you can find this in the Old Testament, this idea of this cup of wrath. And the cup of wrath was reserved for those that the Lord God took over. And this cup of wrath was filled with all of the disobedience that people did against that holy, perfect, just law of the Lord God. And the Lord God would even bring it upon his people. If you turn to Isaiah chapter 51, we hear about how God's people, Israel, have to drink from this cup of wrath that the Lord God has for them, that they actually have stored up for themselves. But again, Jesus says, let this cup pass from me. This is not my cup to drink based on the words that I have spoken and the actions that I have done. I don't want this. It's not for me. Father, if there is any other way for this to take place, and there must be because you have power and authority over everything in this world, and there most certainly has to be another way that you can accomplish it, let it be done this way. I don't want to drink this cup. And again, it's interesting to see how scholars want to resolve this tension that we see Jesus praying here in this prayer of letting this cup pass from him. We know that Jesus is both God and man, and they say that this is only Jesus as man speaking. He, for some reason, isn't communicating with the divine nature at this point. He's working in seclusion as only man, and so, again, he's only praying from a very humanly perspective. And yet we see in the very same breath as Jesus prays, let this cup pass from me, he also prays, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And this is exactly what Jesus has been about throughout his entire earthly ministry. He has come to do the will of the Father. This has been his public proclamation from the very beginning. When he said in Matthew chapter 4, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God has finally broken into his sinful and rebellious creation in his son, Jesus Christ, in order to accomplish his good and gracious will, to redeem and to restore not only all things, but all people as well. Jesus has come to do the will of his Father. And while this is a wonderful message to be able to go out and to proclaim to everyone that Christ has come for them, that they might be his own, we also have to hold intention that this message is for us who are gathered here today. Jesus didn't just come to take this cup of wrath for other people who are not gathered with us today, but Jesus came to drink that cup of wrath, to bear the pain and punishment that each one of us deserved. He went to the cross for you and for me. Jesus, the good shepherd, was struck because of our own wayward thoughts and actions. But Christ didn't simply come to be our substitute, to simply take our place in the judgment seat before the Father to only drink for us the cup of wrath. But again, he came and spoke and did and enacted the will of his Father so that we would not only hear the will of his Father and contemplate maybe doing it, but as his followers, be those who go about doing the will of the Father. 
And those, Jesus says at the end of Matthew chapter 12, are most certainly his brother and sisters and mothers. We, as those who are followers of Christ and do the will of the Father, are the very family of Jesus. And this is where things begin to get a little personal for us today. As followers of Christ, our God calls us to live in the midst of paradoxes or truths that we are to hold in tension. And there are two that we're going to see or we're going to look at here today. And the first is that of the paradox of now but not yet. Meaning that the work of Christ that he accomplished through his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his triumphant resurrection from the grave is final, is complete, is effective or efficacious, not only in the future, but even for us today. In our young adults group over at St. Paul, we've been going through the book of Ephesians. And this week we came across Ephesians chapter 2. In verses 4 through 7 of Ephesians 2, Paul lays out this paradox of now but not yet. He says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and the kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is incredible. Paul is talking about what will take place in our lives in the future, in the coming ages, as if it has already taken place. He writes about it in the past tense. That is how certain Paul is of the final and complete work of Christ for us. He has already seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, he says. And yet, at the same time, he also affirms that it's not yet fully taking place in our lives today, that it will take place in the coming ages. But the other paradox that we live in that's seamlessly tied together with this now but not yet is probably one that we've heard a few times as Lutherans, and that's of the paradox of simul justus et peccator, meaning that at the same time we are just, we are right, we are holy, we are precious, we are blameless in the eyes of our God. And yet we hold in that intention with what we've confessed today, that we have sinned against our God in poor, miserable, even grievous ways against his holy law in his eyes. We hold in tension what the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, that the work of Christ is final and complete for us. And that is held in tension with the reality of what our lives look like on a daily basis. But what if throughout this Lenten season, we focused instead of trying to resolve these tensions, what if we focused on living in the midst of these tensions, of the paradoxes that our God has called us to live in? And I'll be honest with you, I don't know where each one of us gathered here today is at in the midst of these tensions, in the midst of the final and complete work of Christ, but also of the hope of the glory that is to come in the coming age, or of that holiness that our God has given to us 
as his children because of the work of Christ and also the reality of sin in our daily lives. But if you think this is going to be maybe something a little too difficult for you to do by yourself, why not ask a brother or sister in Christ to walk alongside you this Lenten season that we might experience the community that our God has given to us as his followers, that we might navigate life in the way that our God has called us to do in the midst of community. But what if taking the first step of living in the midst of this, these paradoxes, these truthful tensions that our God calls us to live in, what if that first step was a little bit easier than we might expect it to be? What if it looked a little bit like what we see Jesus doing in this first station of the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, in that of praying? And so as we go from here today, I want us to think about whether or not we are willing. Are you willing to take God up on the offer that he has given to you as your heavenly father? As his dear child, are you willing to go before your God in prayer, no matter where you may be, what you may be feeling or experiencing, or what you're about to experience? Are you willing to go to your Father in prayer and communicate with him? Because he is the one who has established a relationship with you, that there might be communication between you and your Heavenly Father. Are you willing to take God up on the gift that he has extended to you? And maybe let's take it one step further, not just for yourself or those people that you know who are around you in your life, but maybe even for this congregation, the gate. Throughout this Lenten season, would you be willing to prayerfully, intentionally, I should say, prayerfully consider lifting up the mission and the ministry of the gate here, that God would lead and guide us throughout this vacancy, to see what it is that he is calling us to do as a church, where he's calling us to go, who he's calling us to reach out to, so that more people would be led into a discipling relationship with Jesus, so that more people would be gathered with us here in worship, that they would connect together with us and experience the benefits of the body of Christ, and that we together would be able to go out into this community and serve our God. But maybe what we have to hold in tension more so than anything else this morning is that our God promises to always hear our prayers and even to answer them. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.